coming up on today's art-themed vandalism podcast. A bit of this. Yeah, yeah, nailing his doobries to the uh, the concrete floor. Ooh, ouch. And this. No, people do pay, play frisbees in parks, and no wonder it's a fun game. It is a bloody fun game. And a bit of this. Well, they could have done, yeah. They could have tested him for... Asparagus. <laughs> you just have to smell it. No, I've never smelled my weed for the record. Hello, and welcome to episode number three of the Modern Art is Rubbish podcast. I'm Marcus, and this is Tom. All right, Tom. Hey, Marcus. All right, are you ready for this? What? Listen to this. What's that sound like to you? It, it sounds like you don't want to pay your council tax bill. No, no, I have fortunately uh, had that included in my rent. Actually, no, that was me ripping up an old piece of art. Because <laughs> that's, that's what I like to do. And coincidentally, I wasn't just randomly ripping up that piece of art because there's a lot of vandalism going on in the art world. Before we get to the main uh, topic that I want to talk to you about today, which is vandalism in art i particularly picked four pieces of vandalism for us to look at i want to talk about news and there's a lot of vandalism going on in the news as well in the art world have you heard any uh vandalizing stories recently um no uh, yeah. yeah i feel like i feel like i should have yeah, you should you should get up on your art vandalism stories. Did you see that one about the uh, Jeff Coons on Snapchat? I saw, like the, the virtual animal in the park. I saw that on the news, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So is it, Was that in New York? Well, what it is, is Jeff Coons has made a lot of blow-up dogs. They look like blow-up silver dog balloons. They're virtual sculptures, and he's teamed up with Snapchat. If you get this app you can use augmented reality to see the sculptures in various different locations such as parks and parks and probably car parks and other places like that i reckon so what you do is you hold up your phone uh, you'll you'll see the normal scene of people uh, possibly just sunbathing or whatever whatever they're doing in the park playing frisbee they play frisbee a lot in the park don't they in america Am I stereotyping by saying that? Possibly. No, people do play, play frisbees in parks, and no wonder it's a fun game. It is a bloody fun game. Anyway, what you do is you go up into a location and you hold up your phone and uh, a Jeff Coons sculpture will be inserted into the scene. Now, what's happened is, is there's been another artist whose name I cannot pronounce. Can you pronounce that name of that artist? Sebastian, is it? Yeah, Erasuriz. Erasuriz? Erasuriz, yeah. Erasuriz, yeah. That's the, the name of the other artist. He's decided to uh, create uh, in the same spot, if you download his app, you can see a virtual kind of vandalised version of a Jeff Coon sculpture. He's, like, tagged it and put writing on it and stuff. But he hasn't actually yet interfered with the real app. He's just kind of tagged his own app. I don't really know if that's, like, proper vandalism. It's just, like, electronic vandalism. It's like virtual vandalism. Yeah. Or augmented, as they're calling it. It'd be a lot easier to clean, wouldn't it, virtual vandalism? Yeah, that's very true. Entropy. 
Entropic. And then the next one we've got is, uh, again, why am I picking artists uh, this week for the news item where the news should actually be about artists whose names are actually impossible to pronounce for someone from Essex? Because uh, this next thing is about an artist called Pyotr Pavelensky. Ski? Ski? Well, I, I, I mean, that's like uh, Pieter Pavlensky. Oh, it's, it's quite an easy one, really, because it's like Peter Pavlensky, isn't it? This is a uh, controversial artist. He got asylum in France, so I, I suppose that's quite nice of a country to give another person asylum. It's always a quite a nice thing to do. And then uh, what happened was he thought he would set fire to uh, the outside of a bank. How long is it before we're going to see him getting asylum somewhere else? About five minutes. So Pieter Pavlensky, he's he sought asylum in France and then he set fire to the Central Bank building in Paris. They don't like him in Russia because he kind of likes quite controversial. He did one where he nailed his private parts to the floor in Red Square near the Kremlin as a protest against the government. Yeah. And he's done other violent things like wrapping himself in barbed wire and cutting off part of his ear. So you don't approve of this uh, his latest work? I don't approve of it, only in the fact that it says it might have, uh, you know, they put other people in danger. The idea apparently was that he said that the Bastille was destroyed by people in the prison in the revolution and the people destroyed, you know, uh, its symbol. And he's saying the Bank de France has taken the place of the Bastille and bankers have taken the place of the monarchs. I quite like Nationwide, and that's a mutual. I don't know if he... I mean, if it was a mutual bank, there are other banks are available, I'd like to say, but if it's a mutual, it's owned by the customers. I don't know if they're like, as bad as... I don't know about the Bank of France. Have you got any feelings on the Bank of France? Um, well, I'm surprised you, like, leap to their defence, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, wh why not? I, I, t I, I quite like this. Well... I mean, he's, he's an artist, okay? I guess, like, is it is it art to set fire, to destroy stuff like that? Is I guess if he's making a point, anything can be art, can't it? It's kind of like... Part of the the politics is part of his art, I guess. The fact that he has got asylum, that he protests against the banks or against the Russian government, were you saying? He protested by nailing something? He's yeah, yeah, he nailing the debris to the uh, the concrete floor. Ooh, and ouch. Then he, and then he stitched his, uh, his mouth together. I, I mean, that's quite a literal thing i think isn't it you know yeah well after you've done your testicles and you're getting told off he's probably it was probably like a, a self-defensive move just to sew his mouth up so he didn't <laughs> say anything wrong <laughs> yeah you don't want to do that maybe maybe because he didn't want to say ouch yeah be, i don't know if he did it at the same time but um, I'm just looking at the picture as well. Uh, he's standing outside the bank, isn't he, posing why, while uh, the, the windows are clearly uh, on fire and uh, he's standing posing in his long shorts and his uh, sandals, a bit like the sandals my uh, dad had in the uh, care home, actually. It does look sand. like a, a holiday photo. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, he's just got a holiday in France where he's just seeing light to everything. <laughs> I don't know if Arsenal the holidays would catch on. You'd probably have a. You certainly wouldn't be able to get in holiday insurance for an Arsenal holiday, would you? You know. Yeah, well, I don't know. Some insurers might cover fires at the central bank in Paris. Yeah, well, I'm sure there would be because it's not it's not an act of God; it's an act of art, isn't it? So I'm sure that's uh, that's the sign they're uh, covered for that. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that I actually thought of the subject for today's podcast before I looked at the news. So it was kind of coincidental that I'd already like started looking at looking at artworks, uh, vandalism artworks before I'd actually pick the news. So what I've done is I've picked a few of the greats. I mean, there has been a lot of vandalism, which we'll probably go into another time, about Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa that's been attacked and there's been a few other fine arts that have been attacked. And one I would like to mention, uh, which is more accidental than uh, actually vandalism, was involving uh, the hotelier uh, Steve Wynn. You know the guy who owns the um, the hotels in in uh, Las Vegas. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he apparently he accidentally put his elbow through a Picasso he owned. He, uh, he put his elbow through it and did like seven million dollars worth of damage. He was a bit short sighted. I mean, how do you accidentally put a body part through a canvas? Um, maybe if you're reaching for your drink. <laughs> <laughs> He, he was probably re- reaching for his, you know. Oh, I see. So you're saying he was like, he's like his canvas is there in front of him. He's going, oh, I'll get my drink, but he's not. He's forgotten that the Picasso's in front of him and just put his <laughs> yeah. straight through to get his drink. Yeah, his yeah. gin and tonic was immediately behind the Picasso. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're short sighted, he's, pro- he's probably just focused on the drink. But that that's an expensive sip. That's really expensive, isn't it? If you- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what they say. He should have gone to Boots. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He should have gone to the other, the other one. Yeah. <laughs> the other one. Yeah. <laughs> the other one. Yeah. We better not, uh, as we're not being paid by either of them. But well, they may well do it if they want to pay us. Then we'll mention the other one. Yeah, he he should have gone to Kellogg's Crunchy Nut Cornflakes. <laughs> yeah, we could say lots of these things because we're not actually under any kind of rules. We can mention lots of products and hope that speculatively <laughs> Cocoa Pops that we get um we get sponsorship. Why would Cornflakes or cereal want to sponsor an art podcast though? But they could do product placement, so we could put bowls of cornflakes in front of the Picasso rather than behind it as Win did. Oh yeah, we could do that in our show notes. We'll have a lot of, uh, yeah, maybe we'll do the art of cereal, but only (laughs) only actually review Kellogg's ones because (laughs) yeah, we'll do that. I actually do like. I always actually thought in terms of the aesthetic, if you look at those little, you know, those little boxes you get of um, of cereal, like the mini ones. You know, when you get the mini Kellogg's ones, yeah. I'd never actually really had those very much, but I used to like the concept of them. I like the visual of those little boxes. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I like the, the visual of the, 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 the little tiny they, little they, they were boxes. a lot of fun as a kid because I, I associate them to going on holiday on the Suffolk coast. We'd get those and me and my sisters would have them for breakfast. And it was a real excitement having the variety boxes of cereal on our holiday and it was only something we did on holiday yeah but wasn't there one I always remember there was one that wasn't very good 
like cornflakes generally. I yeah, think. so there was a little cornflakes. That was like the the, the really dis- real disappointment of the of the uh-huh. thing. Did you ever uh, th- think you know like when you used to have the really really massive cornflake packets? Did you ever get a little box and stick it next to a a large box just just to play on the perspective of it? Uh, no, you know that would would have been really confusing. I guess the way to do that would be to place the large box far away from you and put the little box in front of you and crouch your head down. <laughs> oh, yeah, you could do that. And then what you'd have to do is you'd have to get, if you put a little teaspoon next to the small box <laughs> close up, then it looked like a massive spoon. And then you could get someone that would stand in the distance with a normal size spoon. Uh, I like that. It's like one of, oh, I'm just spade. knocking my keyboard. A spade. Yeah, get a spade with a pot. That would look, oh, that'd be massive, wouldn't it? Yeah. So they that would probably be the equivalent of a really huge person going to eat the little box like we would with with a with a with a tablespoon. Well, what? Yeah, what you could do is the Bank of France. You could just yeah. cover it with the logo of the cornflakes packet, and has have that as the third largest perspective before setting it on fire, obviously. Would it have been as impactful if we just put put a, a Kellogg's packet on on the front of the bank and then just set it on fire or covered it in milk? <laughs> covered but covered it in, it in milk yeah. and then let it. You know, like when milk really smells, you just leave it just smelling for ages. It would be more difficult to like cover a large building in like to make it look like a cereal packet and then drop milk like from a helicopter or whatever on top of it. It's a lot more organisation. It's a more expensive act, isn't it? Act of vandalism. I, I wonder if it would be as easy to justify uh, artistically uh, dropping milk onto onto it <laughs> as opposed to setting a light to it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Are you really talking about milk? Yeah. How the hell did we arrive from talking about serious art vandalism to turning a bank into Kellogg's cornflake? cornflake it was, it was pro- it. product placement, isn't it, in the podcast? Angry penguins. Angry penguins. Vandalism. I was looking up uh, about the 1994 artwork Away From The Flock by Damien Hurst. That was actually damaged. Uh, I've seen it. It's a preserved sheep in a tank of formaldehyde. Yeah, go on, tell us what happened. The guy's called Mark Bridger and he's an unemployed artist from Oxford. So he walks into the gallery and thinks, oh, I don't know. Well, I kind of make it look like he's just walking in and he's just saying, oh, yeah, I think I'll just do that. I mean, he clearly had thought about this because he walks in with black ink. Now, I, I think there's a, there's an element of premeditation because I've walked in with an amount of ink into a gallery when I when I go and do sketching, but not anything that would, would taint the entire uh, contents of a sculpture. So he walks in... And uh, he sees the Damien Hurst. This is in the 90s, by the way. And it's called Away From The Flock. And what he does is he removes the top of the tank. Now, I want to know where the invigilators were at this point. Because the thing is, is I used to invigilate. And you wouldn't have done that in front of me. You wouldn't have got away with it. I would have been right on you. But anyway, so what he does is he takes the top off. 
and he poured ink into it right, yeah. into into the contents and he actually uh, caused the tank to go completely black and he called it black sheep he said it was like a rechanging and he, uh, he apparently gave his card to an assistant and then uh, ran out of the gallery um so what happened was of course he did get caught and he uh he went to uh, uh bow street magistrates and um he was trying to argue that he'd actually uh done it prosecuted well yeah he was trying to argue the prosecutor he was prosecuted for sort of uh criminal damage uh but he was trying to argue that he made a positive contribution to the work and uh, he actually got a conditional discharge. I think it's probably because he was so broke. And I think also there was no real permanent damage done. So he obviously didn't use very good ink. I would have used Indian ink in that water because that's more likely to stain. The thing is, sure. he was trying to make a new uh, statement on it. Actually, I don't think it was very good. I don't think his statement was very good. I think it was just straight vandalism, really. And a little while after these events, uh, Damien Hurst made a book featuring the sheep uh, and it had a little tab that you could pull it and make the sheep go black had this guy being a more integral perhaps he wouldn't have done what he did because he actually sued damien hurst did you see that he failed to sue him but i guess because he was trying to sue him what does that mean that it wasn't really art what he was doing he was just trying to get some recognition and the court case notes uh, seem to indicate the judge thought he was jealous of Damien Hurst's success. I think je jealousy is such a subjective and momentary thing. It's interesting the subject jealousy appearing when you get a black sheep. I mean, what is a black sheep, you know? in Black sheep is something, isn't it? It has a, It's a recognisable sort of other, and it tends to get related to the family, doesn't it? Got a point there, actually, because it's called away from the flock. A sheep that's away from the flock, like a person, would be known as the black sheep of the family. So maybe he was adding a, an extra dimension to the whole piece, which is possible. Maybe you should have been his defence <laughs> lawyer. Yeah, that would be good. That would have worked. Because that does happen sometimes. It, it goes, when, when things go to trial, what happens is, is it ends up becoming a question about the nature of art. Well, the trial is a question of vandalism in the end, wasn't it? Which is kind of different from a, a trial of a black sheep. I find him guilty. I find him guilty of not doing what art. What is confusing about it, though, is that go. the judge referencing jealousy as a motivation, which is kind of... It's the word jealousy is what makes me think of the black sheep. And actually, it, we should be talking about vandalism. The judge wasn't talking about vandalism. The judge was actually like reading the artwork. It's almost as if like him dyeing it black affected the judge quite a lot. He, the judge saw it artistically. He saw the motivation artistically. Yeah. And then he sent, sentenced him yeah. for vandalism, which is kind of like the judge has gone two ways all at once then. I reckon that the, the judge quite enjoyed the, the uh, trial. Yeah. You know, you'd be looking for something like that. You must get so many boring, run-of-the-mill kind of things and then suddenly this comes along and you just think, that's... It's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dichotomy. Dichotomy. Another act of vandalism I was looking at was one that was done against a painting by uh, Mark Rothko, whose paintings I think can be quite good, but can be quite, quite depressing. 
I think you need you need to listen to Mozart to appreciate him, I think. You look at the Rothkos while Mozart's playing and it suddenly has a new, like, has a new meaning, I think, or uh, has a new feeling. I, I saw his exhibition in London a couple of years ago and I looked round it and I was instantly, I looked round the whole thing, I was like, oh, this is so boring. I really didn't appreciate it, it all just looked like boring pictures. And then you, my dad came up to me who I went round with and he gave me his headset and he said, oh, go round and listen to the music. And I did that and it was much more enjoyable. In, in the exhibition I went to, they had these headsets with Mozart specifically for it, which he'd obviously designed it to be listened to while you look at it. So, Tom, yeah, so Vladimir Umanets, he's an artist and he walked into the Tate Modern Gallery with a nice bit of black ink, a kind of uh, vandalising style of black ink, I assume, and he picked a Rothko. Uh, he said for no particular reason and he decided to tag it. Um, I'm looking at the artwork now and it's a bit... It is a bit like a graffiti tag. It's sort of really rubbishy, drippy writing. So he walks up to this Rothko and he writes his name. I mean, probably a quite a good idea if you're going to do a bit of vandalism, sign your name. And also in the corner he wrote, a potential piece of yellowism. Um, the actual damage uh, was pretty bad and it went through several layers. So it would have required quite a lot of restoration. He described this act as actually redefining the work as yellowism, quoting Marcel Duchamp, which seems to be a standard thing to say, you know, I'm this revolutionary artist and this isn't vandalism. I mean, he even suggested that he added value to the piece. So this is him speaking in The Guardian. I believe that if someone restores the Rothko piece and removes my signature the value of the piece would be lower. But after a few years, the value will go higher because of what I did. I think he was kidding himself uh, if the, he thinks the price of Rothko's is affected by what he does. I mean, they're just going up and up. And I think the fact he wrote yellowism on the painting will make no difference to its price. I kind of differ with you there. I kind of like the idea of getting the Rothko with the vandalism on it with yellowism and the guy's name. I I think that sounds quite uh, charming, and I think that would be... Uh, I, I think I agree with him. It might be more valuable in the future. So, if I come to you and you give me $50 million and I say, uh, I'm going to buy you a, a Rothko, and you go, okay. And I turn up with my name written on it and the words purpleism written on it because I'm a purpleist. I, I think I like the other. I think the uh, the the other the otherism. I'm quite I'm quite into so yellowism, vandalism, all these things. I quite like the idea of having it on my wall, the vandalized Rothko, specifically that one with the guy's name on. I like. I think that is my is since uh, about five minutes ago. It's become my favourite Rothko piece. Of course, now it is in history because it has since been cleared up. Uh, it took years of restoration. I still think if you owned this Rothko, you would look at it and after a while you get sick of it and have to pay £200,000 to get it cleaned up. Uh, that's what I think would happen. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, maybe for you, but it's each to their own, isn't it? Yeah, so I thought I'd have a look at yellowism. 
I'm not sure what it's about, so I went on to yellowism.com. On a superficial level, the philosophy is not in yellow, it's actually in green writing. So I'm starting to think it's not about the colour. And also, when you scroll down, the first image at the bottom is a purple box. Uh, I'll put up a link on the show notes so people listening can judge for themselves. Also, I'm now going to read a quote from him in the Telegraph. I think there is a reason, but at the moment I'm not quite getting it but see what you think yellowism is not art and yellowism isn't anti-art it's an element of contemporary visual culture it's not an artistic movement it's not art it's not reality it's just yellowism the main difference between yellowism and art is that in art you've got freedom of interpretation in yellowism you don't have freedom of interpretation Everything is about yellowism, that's it. Oh, he's made this statement and then later said he should not have really done it because that's not an excuse. Well, he did spend a year and a half in prison. I reckon he might have, like, been forced to say that. This is a guy who's been through court. He's been through court. He's been, like, put in prison for doing it. You know, that's kind of... uh, It's taken away his freedom. His, his ability to like express himself or to talk about it. I take what he said about it with a pinch of salt. I think what would have been an appropriate punishment would be for him to be put in an open prison and hire Britney Spears to come along, because apparently now she's an artist, and get her to paint over every painting that he does. So she can do what ever she wants on his paintings. It's like an eye for an eye type punishment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in this case, he paints canvases and Britney Spears comes along and starts painting on them because Britney Spears' artistic practice would probably benefit from the collaboration. So it's a bit like community service and punishment in one in prison. You could get lots of celebrities maybe they could do a celebrity art punishment. So it involves criminals that have done any kind of vandalism, tagging, whatever, and they get celebrities in to punish them for a year in an artistic way. Yeah, but that not that like make the crime worthwhile? Yeah. Because well, what the judge was saying about jealousy with the Damien Hirst thing... See, if people, if that is a reason why he did the, um, the Rothko, <laughs> it makes it worthwhile. It's like, gives you extra motivation if you know that you're going to do a collaboration with Britney Spears as punishment. I mean, who, uh, would you, if you were, if you had the chance to do a collaboration with Britney Spears, but to achieve it, you had to deface some artist's yeah. work. You wouldn't know until you'd, uh, done the crime and had the, got the, got the time. Single point perspective. So Guernica, a big, big, big painting, over seven metres long, painted by Picasso in response to the bombing of the Spanish town of Guernica in 1937. So this man, Tony Schifrazzi, uh, an artist, 1974, at the time the Vietnam War, I believe, was ending, walks into the Museum of Modern Art in New York and sprays across the painting in foot-high letters, kill, lies, all. And eventually he was caught. 
by God. And he said, call the curator, I'm an artist. So that was his kind of anti-war statement. The actual damage to the painting wasn't that bad though. The paint was quite easily removed because the canvas was so heavily varnished. I've actually seen this painting. Have you seen it? I have, yeah. Yeah. No, I have, I have, yeah. Did they have armed guards? I saw it 20, 20 years ago, so... Uh, yeah, I can't, I can't remember, to be honest. I can't remember. They probably just yeah. handed out flowers at that time. But now they've got armed guards, kind of like all changed. Yeah. They give you flowers <laughs> and love, and now they just point oozes at you, because this is the modern world. So as a sentence, Shafrazi got five years probation. What might have helped him was that the judge asked him, would you do it again? And he replied, no, I did it already. I've got other things to do. And the judge said, what other things? And he said, I don't know. Again, I've got a little bit of art rubbish for you. I thought that's quite interesting what he did previously. But then he comes out with this uh, over-the-top statement. I wanted to bring the art absolutely up to date and retrieve it from art history to give it life. Mm, yeah, well, it's interesting because the world is is so messed up. There's so much pain and awful stuff going on in the world. Any sort of statement like that seems to like have a lot of relevance today in 2017. And it, it's like, yeah, you defend the establishment, the art establishment and the history and the value of the beautiful paintings or whatever. But there's a lot of problems in the world and like the value of paintings has no respect to problems of the world, does it, I guess? The last bit of vandalism, the last bit of art vandalism that I mm. want to talk about, uh, you can see in our notes there's pictures of a lot of men that are weighing over a urinal. Uh, the original was created by the artist Marcel Duchamp. Marcel Duchamp, uh, as you probably know, made a, uh, at the turn of the century, said that, decided that anything could be art, so entered a, a urinal into an art competition and submitted it. So basically it was one that he just bought from a, a toilet shop. I don't know if they had toilet shops at the turn of the 20th century. I don't even know if they have toilet shops now. There used to be one down near you, wasn't that a toilet shop or was that a ceramic shop? No, that's just the bathroom. <laughs> you know when you lived in Pres down Preston Park, you used to have, wasn't there a ceramic shop there? Yeah, but I mean they had uh, all sorts of household stuff, but it had toilets, so, they had baths, yeah. sinks, and all sorts. Yeah. So yeah, so but any urinals? I don't know if you ever checked that out, but uh, no, I wish I had done though. Yeah, yeah, because that would have been good. I don't know why it would have been good, but... So if, if, if I was to buy a urinal and put it in a glass um, case inside the house where I live with my girlfriend, we could, uh, we could quite legitimately claim it's a, a famous bit of art. No, no. That is where you're wrong. It's because... I overdid on the no there, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, dude, you're wrong because the thing is, is that they have to be authorized toilets. The original was built in about nineteen, the 1910s, and I think it's since been lost. But what they do is there are officially reproduced official reproductions 
of the toilet. So it's not even the same piece of art that's used that goes around the world. They are authorised toilets. So who do I have to go to get my um, my piece piece authorised? My toilet. I don't know, but it's probably like it's probably like the Duchamp Institute, and they they officially sanction the toilet. I don't know how they officially sanction and you probably have to get it made by an official toilet maker and then it has to get a license to say that it's official i thought there was just one and he just did it as a joke but now there seems to be lots around the world and they're all you know so they're all basically just uh reproductions of the original so it's actually like authorized art toilets it's authorized by the artist himself essentially or his um estate or whoever is managing him there is quite a big demand for authorized art toilets could you not just authorize your flat marcus and um authorize it all as artwork the problem is i don't want people vandalizing it or pissing in it so what why not uh, well no i, I guess it would I, smell if i was to declare my flat to be art now i think certainly there would be a a high incidence of vandalism coming along. A backlash. Uh, a backslash. <laughs> <laughs> so what's going to happen, right? You've got a, a toilet in an art gallery. What are you going to do? You're going to wee in it, aren't you? If you're an artist, it's just saying wee here. It's, it's kind of like quite a fashion. There's been like a, sort of six people, uh, artists I know that have actually weed in the toilet the toilet was actually called fountain as well i mean and the thing is they are quite yeah. in demand toilets i mean all artists do need to use them so particularly looking around a gallery you'll think yeah actually i do actually want to go in there yeah i mean certainly we're talking about tate the toilets are quite a distance away uh, they, they're quite in the stairwell, if I remember rightly. So you have to walk quite a way to get to the toilet. So, And I guess if you're an artist pissing in the toilet, it can be authorised urine. If you had Duchamp urine, that I suppose that might be acceptable. But in this case, it's kind of like it's considered vandalism. But what I don't understand is if you wee in a toilet, toilets are generally set up not to get damaged. So if you're not actually causing damage to the art piece i'm not sure how you get done for it because it's quite a complex one here maybe it's indecent weighing or something public weighing oh right yeah yeah the one of the most famous ones which i quite like was uh, brian eno it's another form of yellowism as well yeah <laughs> well it depends <laughs> depends how much asparagus you've been eating or whether you've been drinking a lot of fluid i find <laughs> that you tend to tends to go a bit more it tends to go a bit more white. I don't know if you know that. I did that. Yeah. I did that when I was. Uh, it's always very clear when I am um, when I fast. I di I digress. Yeah. Brian Eno in 1990. Brian Eno, the uh, of course the 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 singer. Uh, well, not singer. Why he's not a singer, is he? Why am I saying he's a singer? The producer, the, uh, the producer and, and artist as well. Uh, he decided to be in the fountain. So what he did was the. Uh, but he, he's got he's actually quite creative with the way he weed in the fountain because it's in a case. So it's got a slot. So you can't you can't just stick your schlong through the gap and, and, and hit the uh hit the urinal. So you need he got kind of quite creative about this one because this this one was actually under a, a perspex case. 
or glass case. So he actually went to the plumbers and he bought <laughs> he bought uh, a couple of feet of clear plastic tubing, and then he filled it with urine. So what he did was you so he walked into the gallery and he's probably got his finger on this on this tube to stop the urine coming out. And then what he does is he uh, he feeds the tube through the slot in the glass case. And then he lets go of it, and apparently, like a little trickle of urine comes out of it, and that was his, that was his big statement. So, he he was talking about the fact that it's not even the original; it's not even you know the original toilet. So he just thought, I just pee in it. They should have like drug tested his pee and done him for um, drugs in his system. Cool. I mean, I remember when this podcast, which was quite a while ago, started. You were all for like burning down, uh, uh, allegedly burning down banks, and now you want to, now you want a drug test for weed. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, it was just a suggestion for the uh, police if they were cross with him. That could well in a way to uh, criminalise the act. Not that I would, not that I would approve of it. I'd say absolutely do not drug test it. But they could have done. Well, they could have done, yeah. They could have tested him for... Asparagus. <laughs> you just have to smell it. No, I've never smelt my weed, for the record. That'll go on podcast highlights. I've never smelt my yeah, weed. Marcel Duchamps, he's actually used a toilet... To, yeah, he, I mean, it's pretty stinky sort of exhibition. I mean, if, if there was a public toilet on exhibition, it would smell, wouldn't it? I mean, public toilets smell. By Marcel Duchamp making it and saying it's art, it was kind of like made into a, just a, an art piece. But then they go and take, they don't take the original art piece, and then they just stick a to, an authorized toilet. Now there is a big argument, which is what what Brian Eno is saying is saying it is an authorized toilet, and I'm pissing in an authorized toilet. It's not, it's not the original art, and it's the same thing, uh, you know, in '93, uh, French artist Pierre. Pinocelli urinated into it, into the piece, uh, and then he attacked it with a hammer. I don't know if the hammer bit, I didn't quite get that, why he would attack the work with a hammer. Maybe he was um, uh, doing his plumbing training. Yeah, I, I don't know why that that's different. Now, smashing the, smashing the toilet, that just becomes an act of straight vandalism. Another guy, another a Chinese performance art duo, they're called Mad For Real. Uh, they had a wee on it. But do you see that picture? There's a picture from because it was in a box. They only read on the box, on the Perspex box, not the actual toilet. I kind of think that doesn't work. That doesn't work for me. Yeah, but it would make the um, area smell more like a public toilet. Yeah, actually, that's the kind of thing because there's not many, to my knowledge, there's not many smells in art. Arts. Art doesn't really utilise the smell uh, factor very much. Even even if you go and see like uh, some some of the dead stuff from from Damien Hirst, there's no real smeller about it. So it's quite it's quite sanitary. It doesn't really utilise that. So yeah, that that's quite good actually. I quite like yeah. that. Yeah. There's another a Swedish guy urinated in it. It was a work of art, and he turned it back into an everyday object. Because when this piece came out. Uh, at the turn of twenty first century, there was this big conversation about whether it is art. You know, can a toilet be art? And the interesting thing was with the French artist when he went to court, he had the same conversation, which is, 
the guy, the art of saying, no, it's a toilet. So they had to, in court, have the argument again as to whether it was a work of art or not. Right, yeah. So in summary, I think that vandalising work can be a statement. But I know if I was an artist and someone came along and they vandalised my work, I'd be pissed off. Overall, I think these are quite legitimate what these people are doing, but I, I don't know if I if I would like it if it was done to my own work. That's what I yeah, think. Yeah, no, I can relate to that as well. Yeah. Well, it's also it's about turning someone someone's work into something else that they didn't want. So it's like yeah, it's like taking a piece of work that is like about sheep and turning it into a piece of work that's about. Well, not about badgers, but about black sheep. To, to work about a white sheep and turn it into work about a black sheep is kind of changing the meaning that the artist set out with. Oh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty transformative. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I think that's it for this uh, this week. So, people, where, where can people follow this, Tom? On our website, modernartisrubbish.com. We've got notes on the website. We've got a Facebook page now. And also, can you go on iTunes and give us a five-star review? Nothing less would be, uh, if you gave us four stars, I would consider that vandalism of the purity of our iTunes page. Absolutely. Our, our yeah. page has been created for, uh, for five-star reviews. Yes, purity. Purity and unvandalizableness. Yeah, but I guess okay, it, it well, would uh, kind of be respecting the podcast if people did give this particular episode very bad reviews. It would be a respect of the vandalism we've talked about. Unfortunately, it would affect all the other reviews. So I, I can only... I, 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 what I would suggest is that people give a five-star rating give a good review to all the other podcasts and vandalise the, the, this one in their review, but making sure you give five-star and glowing reviews of the rest. So surround it. A friend calls it a compliment sandwich. What you do is you say something good to someone, then you say something bad, and then you say something good, and it's a compliment sandwich. So maybe a compliment sandwich style of review. Yeah, I don't know. That doesn't work for me because, like, a compliment sandwich is almost like a cheese sandwich. You don't have cheese with bread in the middle and then cheese again and call it a cheese sandwich. A compliment sandwich would be, like, an insult and then you, then you make a compliment and then you do another insult. That's a compliment sandwich, surely. A, an inverted <laughs> compliment sandwich. That's what we want. We want an inverted compliment.